Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Well, hello, Hills Church. It is so good to be with you. Uh, I bring you greetings from the land down south, flowing with carne asada burritos and fish tacos and cool ocean breezes, just to rub it in. I came up here yesterday. It was like six o'clock at night and 105. What are you doing? Right? I called my family and I was like, this is not it. Right? Um, But I'm glad to be here for 24 hours and then go back to the land flowing with carne asada burritos and fish tacos and cool ocean breezes. Uh, Actually, it is a thrill for me to be here. Uh, Your pastor is a great friend of mine. We've been friends for about six years. Uh, We first met in a lead pastor, senior pastor cohort, uh, a learning group where we would twice a year go meet with a pastor who's done it longer and better than us that we could learn from. And it was really in that environment where I got to know your pastor, love your pastor, his family, know his heart, hear stories about you and this community. And so it's a privilege to be here. In fact, uh, here is a picture uh, that two-year journey of learning ended where we took a trip with our spouses to Europe. And I have a little picture. Uh, you can see that's me in the middle. I don't know why I didn't take my sunglasses off. And my, my wife, Rebecca, is right there by Lindsay. And we are in Scotland. That is Edinburgh uh, right there. And one of our other pastor friends who is going to remain nameless because you don't know him and it doesn't matter. All right. Um, <laughs> But uh, I promised not to show the pet picture of Pastor Jonathan uh, trying to be William Wallace in a kilt, so I just put that one up there for you. A couple things about me as we get going. One of those, you saw the picture of my wife there. We've been married for 26 years this last May. You can clap for her uh, because she's had to put up with me. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, man, you don't look like you're old enough to be married for 26 years. Okay, you're thinking, she doesn't look like she's old enough to be married for 26 years. We were pretty young when we got married. I was 23, my wife was 19. Don't judge, I see you (laughs) right there. You were like, there was like a gasp from somebody. Like, uh, let me just tell you, if you're wondering, why'd you get married so young? When you're trying to faithfully follow Jesus and you're in love, you get married young, if you know what I'm saying. Like, Some of you are going to get that joke on the way home. But anyway, um, we have been married for 26 years. We have, uh, well, let me show you a picture of my family. As you can see, uh, we have two amazing kids and another one. Um, My daughter, Emma, right there is going off to college. She just graduated high school. She's going to be going to the University of Kansas this next year. Uh, You can take that picture down. Um, and she's going to be on the rowing team down there, so she's super excited about that. Uh, my 16-year-old Lincoln is into hoops, and then my 14-year-old, he is the most fun, all right? Uh, so that's uh, my family, a little bit about us. I pastor a church down, if you know, San Diego County. I'm in the southeast corner uh, in Chula Vista is where I live, probably five miles from the border down there, and I've had the privilege of serving that community for the past 20 years. Uh, as a pastor, and I have the privilege of serving you today through the preaching of God's word. And so I want to begin by looking at 
uh, a famous statement of Jesus that probably even if you're here today and you're not a Jesus person, you're not a Bible person, maybe you're just checking church out, uh, you've probably even heard this statement of Jesus referenced before, and we're going to use it as kind of our anchor and launching pad for what we're talking about. It is uh, Jesus' words in John 14, 6. Could we bring that up on the screen? And as it comes up, I want us to read this out loud together. I don't know if you normally read scriptures out loud together, but uh, since I'm here this week, we're reading scriptures out loud together, at least this one, which by the way, if you hate the message today and it sucks, I won't be back next week, all right? So <laughs> let's just all get along for the next little bit. All right, here's the words of Jesus, John 14, six. Let's read it out loud, ready, begin. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. The only way to the Father is through me. Here's my assumption about you today. That if you're here at church, there is a part of you that you want the Jesus life to be real in you. I mean, let's be honest. It's summer and you're at church. You're either here today because you really love Jesus or you don't have air conditioning. Those are the two reasons why you would be in church. And so my assumption about you is that you want the Jesus life in you. What is the Jesus life? It is a life of meaning. It is a life of purpose. It is a life knowing that this life in this body for the little bit of time that we get is not all there is. It is a life of peace. It is a life of confidence, not in ourselves, but in our Savior. It is a life spent serving others and using what God has given us for his glory, not our own. And my guess is most of us, if we were to sit down and go, would you like that kind of life? Every one of us would go, yeah, I would love that kind of Jesus life in me. Yet here's the reality we need to understand from what Jesus just said in that scripture verse. The only way that we will ever experience the Jesus life is if we learn to live in the Jesus way and walk in the Jesus truth. You do not get the Jesus life without living in Jesus way and walking in Jesus truth. And so today, what I wanna help us all do is live in that Jesus way and walk in the Jesus truth so we get the Jesus life. And what I wanna show you is that there are three paths, three ways of living that we all get to choose from. There are three paths that are always vying for our hearts and vying for our attention. And I'm gonna tell you what the three are right up front, and then we're gonna walk through each of these three. There is the ways of the world, the ways of religion, and there is the ways of Jesus. And those first two, the way of the world and the way of religion, Jesus taught that if we find ourselves on those paths, if we're living in those ways, they will always lead us not really where we wanna go. They're gonna lead to disconnection from God and they're gonna lead to distortion in our life and ultimately they're gonna lead to destruction. Because here's the reality about all of our lives. All of us have ways we are living and the ways we are living are always taking us somewhere. The way that we think about ourselves, the way that we think about the world, the way that we see ourselves, the way that we see the world, the choices we make, those are all the ways that are leading us somewhere. And the invitation of Jesus is to live in his ways and have it lead to a place of life and blessing. This is the promise of Jesus. 
But I want us to look at these three paths because here's the reality. Our world is constantly whispering in our ear and pulling on us to get off the path of life, off the way of Jesus. And so let's walk through these today and then hopefully at the end, realize that we have Jesus' help to stay on the path of life. So the first one, three ways that we all have to choose from. The first one is the ways of the world. The ways of the world. Now, when you're reading the New Testament, if you ever see the term world or worldliness, it's not talking about creation. It's not talking about, you know, like, like the mountains or the ocean. It's actually talking, when the Bible talks about world or worldliness in Scripture in the New Testament, it's referring to the human system that is opposed to God and under the power and influence of the evil one. The classic Scripture passage that talks about this is 1 John chapter 2. Here's what it says. Do not love the what? Say it out loud. World or anything in the world. If anyone loves the the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The, and its desires all pass away. Everyone look right here. Here's what that means. Everything we see, everything we touch, everything that we often work so hard for, guess what? In the end, it all passes away. But whoever does the will of God lives what? Say it out loud. Forever. Now, the ways of the world are all around us. What are the ways of the world? It is, the, it is our human system. The ways of the world are in our culture. It's in our entertainment. It's in our politics. And they're trying to influence us and shape us and lead us away from God. And John, the author of that passage, says he puts three categories into the ways of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And if you're here today and you're going, well, what in the world are those? You're in luck. I'm going to explain it. So real quick, let's look at these three categories about the ways of the world. The first one is the lust of the flesh. What is that? Here's a simple definition. The lust of the flesh is simply wanting to please our sinful physical desires. Maybe no one ever told you this before, but you are not just a biological being. Did you know that? You are not just flesh, blood, and bone. You are more than that. Scripture teaches that you are an eternal being with a divine destiny in God's great universe. That's who you are. That's who every human being is. There is the material part of you that you see and that you touch. And scripture teaches that there is the immaterial part of you that is your spirit and your soul, the core essence of who you are that was made by God to live forever. You are a spiritual being. And so for us as Jesus people, as spiritual beings, we don't live according to only our flesh, our physical desires and our feelings and our emotions. Because if we give in to every thought or follow every feeling or try to fulfill every desire, it's going to lead to spiritual distortion and destruction. Look what the apostle Paul says about our flesh. And as we read this passage, I want you to think about how much does this sound like just the everyday world and culture that we're all living in. Look at Galatians chapter five. It says the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. 
That just sounds like the next episode of The Bachelor, doesn't it? (laughs) Idolatry and witchcraft. And then look at the next categories. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions. What does that sound like? Sounds like social media and politics. That's what it sounds like. And envy, drunkenness, orgies. That's spring break, all right? And the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this, like what? Giving in to every thought, feeling, or desire. That's what he's saying, the way of the world. Those who live like this will not inherit the what? Say the rest out loud. The kingdom of God. The realm where what God wants done is done. The realm of life, the realm of blessings, now and eternal. You see, our world tells us to follow our flesh, to give in to every desire, to give in to every feeling. What terrible advice. Sadly, that's the world we're living in. That if you have a thought, if you have a feeling, then you should run after it and you should fulfill it. No, you should not. So what do we do with our physical desires or thoughts or feelings as Jesus' people? Do we run after them and chase every one of them? No, here's what we do. We don't deny them, we surrender them to Jesus. That's what we do. And we ask through the power of his Holy Spirit in us to teach us how to live self-controlled lives that honor God, not just with our words, but with our bodies. This is the way of Jesus. And so John says, hey, don't give in to the lust of the flesh. And then he gives another category that sounds odd to us, the lust of the eyes. What is that? Well, that is simply wanting the sinful things that we see. This is basically, here would be a word for the lust of the eyes, coveting. Now again, that's not a normal word that we use, right? No, nobody was like, hey, how was your week? Man, I spent all week coveting, <laughs> right? Like nobody, you probably didn't hear that word over the last couple weeks in just everyday conversation. But we covet, in fact, there's a whole industry built in our world today to help us covet. You know what it's called? Advertising, that's what it's called. Advertising is meant to help you step into the lust of the eyes. In other words, here's what happens in advertising. You see something on an ad, it pops up as you're scrolling through social media or it pops up on your TV in a commercial. You didn't even know that item existed 10 seconds ago. And now you're like, whoo, I need it. Right, my life would be so much better if I had that. And that, that basically is what coveting is. It's seeing things that someone else has or that the world has to offer, success, money, power, control, pleasure. And then here's really what the lust of the eyes is. It's pursuing those things above all else. It's making those things the priority of our life. Look what it says in Hebrews 13, five. This is the word of encouragement to Jesus' people. Keep your lives free from the love of what? Money. Now, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, keep your lives free from money. Woo, that stuff's bad. No, how many would say you probably need some money this week, this month, right? Pay the bills. Yeah, yeah, we all need it, right? Scripture, the most misunderstood scripture and and misused scripture is the one that says, money is the root of all evil. That's not what it says. The love of money, 
the pursuit of money above all else. And so here again, it says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be, what is the next word? Content with what you have. Everybody look right here. Here, Here's what you need to understand when it comes to Jesus about money and possessions. Jesus is not against us having money, having possessions, or even having a lot of money or really nice possessions. Jesus is against money and possessions having us. Jesus is against the pursuit of money and success and possessions and power becoming first in our life rather than using the gifts and the talents and the resources that he has given us. And if it allows us to pursue a whole lot of those things, but then use those things, not just for our benefit, but for the benefit of his kingdom and blessing people in his world, then he's all for it but he's against those things having us. That's what the lust of the eyes is. And so again, remember, every way is leading you somewhere. It's shaping you. And then the third way of the world, John calls this, the pride of life. What is the pride of life? Well, the pride of life, it is simply not wanting, thanking, or acknowledging God. The pride of life says, I'm God. Now, most sane people would never say that out loud, but it's the way most people live their lives. In other words, we are, every time we say we get to decide what is right and wrong, we get to decide what is good and bad, guess what we're doing? We're putting ourselves in the place of God. We're saying, I'm God and I get to choose. That's the pride of life. And can't you see this just all over our culture right now? The spirit of this age wants you to have an inflated view of yourself and your success. That you did it, that you made it, you built it, you accomplished it, you get to decide it. And the book of Romans in chapter one talks about a downward spiral of people in society that begin to ignore God and not acknowledge him. Look what it says in Romans chapter one, verse 21. It says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is the pride of life. It's saying, I take the glory and I give God none. And these three ways of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they are always whispering to us, We live in a world that those three things are saturated. You can't get away from them. It's saturated in our culture. It's saturated in our media. They're saturated in our politics. And and here's the reality. We just need to be aware that these are the ploys of the enemy. This is what the enemy is gonna try to do to get you off of the path of life, off of the ways of Jesus. In fact, I've been a pastor long enough now to see all three of these, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, take people out who were just like you. Meaning I've been a pastor in the same community for 20 years now. And I've watched one of these three things take people out who showed up to church and worship just like you, who volunteered at the doors, who sang at the worship team, who were on the elder board, all these different things. Where, and, here's, and, here's, and here's how the enemy of our soul takes us out. Rarely is it ever with this like one big moment decision. You see that sometimes, 
But, but it's usually not one day somebody just goes, ah, you know what, I don't believe this anymore and I'm not gonna follow Jesus. Like, like that's, that's one in a million, that's super rare. But you wanna know how the enemy of our soul works? Here's how it works. It's always a slow drift. That's how it happens. It's, it's, it's a slow drift towards the ways of this world where all of a sudden we begin to let culture shape our thinking more than Jesus, where our preferred politics and political party agenda becomes more important than scripture, where our personal happiness and pleasure become more important than what the Bible calls holiness, which is meaning being set apart for God. And then inevitably what happens is you wake up one day and wonder, well, what do I need God for anyway? You see, that's where the ways of the world take us away from God. And you know what the most common overreaction to the ways of the world is? It's the second way. It's the ways of religion. This is the most common overreaction to the ways of the world. You see, the way of religion says, whew, well, we better stay away from the bad old world out there. And, and we better be really good for God. We better follow all the rules and stay away from all the bad people and all the bad stuff if God is going to love us and accept us. Now, I want to share what I think is a hilarious example of what the way of religion believes and what the ways of religion looks like through a little homemade video, if you will, that I like to call Jesus and the sinners. Watch this and feel free to laugh. Well, all right. Now it's time for me to tell you all what you've done wrong since I last saw you. And don't try and hide because I'm Jesus. I will find you. Let's start with you, Peter. You lied to your mother the other day. Andrew, you said a naughty word when you hit your finger with the hammer. James, you laughed at him when he hit his finger. Moving right along, John, you drank too much wine the other night. Not way too much, just enough to make me angry. Matthew, we fell asleep in church, didn't we? Yes, we did. And Thomas, you were slow dancing a little too close with that girlfriend of yours. Let's see, and you, I forgot your name, so you're off the hook for now. Um, Philip, I saw you smoking a cigarette behind that big rock the other day. Thaddeus, I hate to say I saw you stick up your middle finger at someone who cut you off when you were riding your camel. Benjamin, you aren't wearing your WWJD bracelet. Jacob, I don't mind you saying my name, but not after you stub your toe. Frank, you know what you did. I just can't repeat it because I'm Jesus. All right, all you sinners, come with me. It's time to pay the piper. <laughs> I love that. Right? Some of you, you haven't clapped in church ever. You just got inspired. Right? We show that video in our church at least once a year. I'm not joking. For the last probably 18 years. And let me just be clear. I am not making fun of Jesus in that video. Newsflash, that was not Jesus. That was an actor in the 70s that we just put a little weird voiceover over the top of that. 
but I am making fun of the religious spirit and the religious assumption that creeps into so many churches and so many Jesus people that says God is primarily concerned with these external behaviors in our life and that Jesus wants to show up in your life to tell you all the bad things that you did this week. And maybe you showed up to church today reluctantly. Maybe you haven't been to church in years because you went to a church or maybe somebody sold you on a religious experience that was centered around something like that, where you showed up to pay your penance. You showed up to be told how bad you were and how much you needed God. And let me just tell you, that is a religious spirit that Jesus constantly, at every turn, opposed when he was on this earth in the flesh. You see, Jesus always um, opposed a religious spirit that was more concerned about external behavior rather and separated from internal transformation, Let me show you this by looking at some words that Jesus said to the most religious people of his day in his Jewish culture called the Pharisees. Look at what Jesus said to them. Matthew 15, seven through nine. And these were not nice words. Here's what Jesus said. You what? Say it out loud. Hypocrites. Right? You hypocrites. In other words, you people that say one thing and do another. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you. These people say they honor me, but their hearts are what? Far away. In other words, Jesus was pushing against them saying, you have all the outside things right. You look good to everyone around you. You don't touch those things. You don't eat those things. You don't do these things on certain days. And everybody thinks you're holy and everybody thinks you're spiritual. But Jesus says, your hearts, what really matters is not all this stuff on the outside. It's what's going on on the inside. It's so far away. And he looks at him and basically says, your worship is worthless because you teach man-made laws instead of those that are from God. You see, life is not found in being good. That is the way of religion. I went to the movies last night. It's what I do to prepare for sermons. Um, (laughs) I got here a little early and I was staying right around the corner. I was like, oh, there's a movie theater here. In Jesus' name, I should go. And so um, I went and saw a movie last night and one of the uh, previews uh, about a movie, I don't even remember what the movie uh, was, uh, but the main actor in the movie is being asked, well, you know, well, will you go to heaven? And he says, no, because only good people go to heaven. That's a lie. Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven, right? Because scripture says, guess what? None of us are good. All of us have sinned. All of us are separated from God. We all need that internal transformation. And the way of religion says, worry about the things that are on the outside. The way of religion says, that's what you care about. That life is found in being good. That's, That's the way of religion, The way of the world says life is found in doing everything you want. That's the way of the world. No, Jesus tells us us life is found in him. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And that leads to our third choice, the ways of Jesus. 
You have a choice, the way that you're gonna live this week. Are you gonna live in the ways of the world? Are you gonna live in the ways of religion? Or are you gonna live in the ways of Jesus? The world tells us you can do whatever you want and it will lead to fulfillment that you're looking for. But here's the reality, you know this, it never does, it never lasts. Religion says if you do everything right, it will prove that you're good enough. But we're never good enough. Jesus shows up and says, I know you're a total mess and I love you and invite you to be with me anyway. That's the good news of the gospel. Not you fix yourself up and clean yourself up first. No, it's you're loved just as you are, but you're loved way too much to let you stay as you are. You are loved to be somebody better, somebody different, somebody that can overcome that addiction, somebody that can let that bitterness go and walk in the way of forgiveness, somebody that can turn that hurt and trust God with it and let it become a place of healing so now you can bless and help and encourage other people who have that same hurt. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the way of Jesus. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 12 too. It says this, it says, do not allow this world to mold you to its own image. Instead, be transformed from the, say the next two words, inside out. In other words, transformation, you can have it, but it starts from the inside out by the renewing of our minds. As a result, you will be able to discern what God wills and whatever God finds good, pleasing, and complete. Here's the good news of the gospel. It is not about behavior modification. Jesus is not inviting you into something where it's like, okay, here's all these things I gotta fix and all these things I gotta solve. That is behavior modification going, let me work on my life from the outside in. And have you figured out yet that it doesn't work? How many times have you said, I'm never gonna do it again? I'm not gonna look at it again. I'm not gonna smoke it again. I'm not gonna think that way again. I'm not gonna react that way again. How many times have you said that? Probably a lot. Transformation doesn't come from the outside. It comes from the inside. At its core, it's choosing to trust in Jesus. It's about opening our heart wide open and letting his spirit in us. Here's what the scripture teaches. Here's what authentic biblical Christianity is. It says that the moment you say yes to Jesus, that who you are instantly changes, that you have moved from outside of God's family to son and daughter of God, that you have instantly moved from darkness to light. Instantly that has happened. And then what you learn to do is live from the place of who you already are. This is the way of Jesus, that we're not trying to go, okay, let me figure all of these things out so that I eventually can be that. You already are that. You're a son and daughter of God. You're children of the light is what scripture says. Are we still gonna struggle? Absolutely. Are we still gonna sin as long as we're in this body, in this broken world? Yes, we are. But can we overcome addictions? Yes, we can. You see, what Jesus can do is help us get to the other side. He can help us do what we could never do for ourselves. We could never pay the penalty of our sin. This is what he's done in the cross, that we are forgiven and redeemed and restored back into relationship with God, not because of what we do, because Jesus gets us to the other side through his blood, through his sacrifice. 
right? I don't have the ability in my own strength and power to forgive that person that hurt me. I am really awesome at holding grudges. I don't know about you. I'm pretty incredible at if you hurt me, guess what I wanna do? Hurt you worse. Like that's just my default position, right? And that is not the way of Jesus. In my own strength and power, I wanna hurt you. I wanna hold on to that. But the way of Jesus is that he helps me get to the other side to healing and forgiveness. I can't overcome that addiction in my own strength and power. But Jesus can get me to the other side where there is victory, where there is healing. This is the way of Jesus. This is what he does over and over and over again. I wanna close by giving you a picture and when I say close, that means this could be two minutes or 20. I don't know. Um, I'm just kidding. Some of you were like, oh my gosh, guest speaker. Uh, I want to close by giving you a picture of what trusting Jesus to get you to the other side looks like by telling you a story about a guy by the name of Charles Blondin that lived in the 1800s. He was a world famous tightrope walker. And in the summer of 1859, he became the first man to walk across Niagara Falls there's a picture of him at Niagara Falls on a tightrope with no safety net, with no harness. He crossed that in about 23 minutes, slow and steady, step after step across that huge span of water. Now, after he crossed it, you know, there, there were a couple hundred people there, a bunch of reporters, and it was in the news, but Charles realized, man, you know what, I, I, I think I could turn this into like my moment, right? This could be my 15 minutes of fame. And so after he got to the other side and crossed it, he said, hey, in just a couple weeks, I'm going to come back and do this again, but I am going to do it more than once, and I'm going to do it carrying different things with me across the rope. And so, so he asked the reporters, hey, start getting this word out. And this was before internet, cable TV. Uh, so, you know, people were pretty starved for entertainment. So on July 4th, a couple weeks later, here's what history tells us. Over 100,000 people showed up to watch Charles Blondin walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Now, most of us human beings at our core were kind of sick people. So let's be honest, they all showed up to see if he would fall. That's what they, they're like, hey, you wanna go to the beach or you wanna go watch that guy? Take a tumble, let's go, right? Like that's kind of what happened. And so there's 100,000 people there. And so he gets up before he starts walking across and he goes, how many of you think I can cross it again? And the crowd cheers, you can do it. And so he starts the walk, step by step, slow and steady, and it takes him again about 23 minutes to get to the other side. When he finally steps off the rope, the other side, the crowd goes crazy. And he goes, how many of you think I can do it again? And in the reporters are snapping pictures. And he says, but this time, I'm gonna take a camera with me and I'm gonna halfway out, turn around and take all of your photo. And everybody's like, yeah, we'd love to see it. You can do it. And so he walks out and cameras back then, it's those huge tripods you gotta put your head under the, you know, like curtain. Like he walks out there, gets halfway, turns around and takes a photo. The crowd goes crazy, finishes and gets to the other side. Then he says, I'm gonna do it again, but how many of you think I could do it pushing this wheelbarrow across? 
And everybody's like, we'd love to see it. You should do it. They all cheer and go crazy. He walks slowly, step by step, about 23 minutes, gets to the other side. The crowd goes crazy. He goes, I'm going to do it one more time. This time, I'm going to do it carrying someone on my back. How many of you think I can do this? And the crowd goes crazy. Yes, you can do it. And then he goes, okay, do I have any volunteers? <laughs> this is a true story. No one said anything. Everybody was like, don't make eye contact. He's looking over here, right? Like, like, <laughs> and he said it again. Do I have any volunteers? Nobody wants to step up. It's literally 100,000 people silent. And then he says, last chance, one guy raises his hand, a guy by the name of Henry Colcord. Now, Henry, Mr. Colcord, was not just any guy in the crowd. In fact, he was Charles Blondin's manager. And up until this point, he had never tried this trick with him. It wasn't staged. It wasn't like they practiced. It was just that Henry, over the years of traveling with Charles, watching him walk the tightrope over skyscrapers in cities, over canyons, over the Grand Canyon, he thought, I believe if he thinks he could do it, he could do it. And so Henry walked up and Charles gave him two pieces of instruction as he climbed on his back. He said, first of all, don't look down. <laughs> like, good advice. And then he said this, secondly, you are no longer Henry Colcord. You are Blondin. If I sway, you sway. If I move, you move. We are one and we will get to the other side. And so Henry Colcord, true story, climbed on his back and they begin to step out over Niagara Falls. Step by step, slow going, but eventually Blondin got Colcord to the other side, safely. And that's what trust looks like. And that's the difference of being an admirer and a follower. Charles Blondin had 100,000 admirers there that day, right? You can do it, but I'm not going. I'm not getting on your back. I mean, I like the show. I like to see it. I like to be a part of it. But woo, I'm, I don't trust like that. Only one person in the crowd trusted like that. Let me leave you with this. Jesus isn't looking for any more admirers. He's looking for followers. Jesus doesn't want us just to show up at church once a week and be like, woohoo, Jesus, you got this. You're amazing. You can do it, Lord. No, what's the invitation of Jesus? What's the ways of Jesus all about? It's Jesus going, hey, hop on, and I can get you to the other side. I can get you to the other side of your sin. You know what that's called? It's called grace that you are forgiven and free, not because of what you do, but because of what Jesus Christ has already done. Jesus is here today saying, I can get you to the other side of that addiction, that you can experience healing and you can experience freedom, but not in your own strength and power, through me. 
Jesus is here today saying he can get you to the other side of that bitterness. He can get you to the other side of that sickness. He can get you to the other side of that even if it doesn't happen in this life. You see, this is the faith in Jesus that we have that we actually sang about earlier. Did you catch it in that song earlier where it was like, in the blessing you are worthy, in the pain you are worthy? This is the amazing promise of Jesus that at some point, life in this body for all of us, newsflash, it's gonna wear out, right? But that doesn't mean it's the end of us and it's the end of our story. And so sickness, whether we get a temporary healing here or a forever healing there, it doesn't win. Jesus gets us to the other side. This is the good news. This is the gospel. I'm gonna invite us in just a moment to receive communion as we close. If you wanna just get those communion elements you were offered uh, in your hand, just hold them for a moment. I wanna lead us in in a couple of thoughts uh, and I'm gonna close us Uh, in a prayer and then give you a moment just to receive communion right where you are before we dismiss. But how many of you would be here today and say, you know what, James, there's an area of my life that I need Jesus to get me to the other side on today. For some of you, maybe it's simply that you need to say yes to Jesus to forgive you of your sin and change your eternal destiny. Like put your trust in him today. Don't put your trust in religion. Don't put your trust in a church. Put your trust in Jesus. That's what you're doing. You're saying, Jesus, I trust that I am forgiven, not because of what I do, but because of what you already did on the cross and that your resurrected life gives me new life right now and forever. And some of you, you might need to trust Jesus with that and say, you know what? Today's my day. I'm saying yes to Christ, his grace, or I'm coming back to Christ. Others of you, you might might need to say, Jesus, get me to the other side on this addiction. Help me walk in victory and freedom. Others of you, you need to let that hurt go. You need to let Jesus, you need to release that bitterness. You need to let him into that pain. You need to let him get you the other side to your healing today. You see, communion is this gift that we remember. It's not about us and our strength. It's about Jesus and his. His body broken, his blood poured out, forgiving our sin, giving us new life now and forever. So I'm gonna invite you to stand. If you would, just hold that communion in your hand. And then I'm gonna say a prayer. And then after that prayer, we're just gonna give you a few moments. We're just at the quietness right where you stand. Don't leave yet. Just, I want you to say some personal prayers to receive communion and maybe even pray that in your head and your heart. Say, Jesus, would you get me to the other side on this? Would you help me live in your way, not in the way of the world and not in the way of religion? Let me pray for us. Lord, I know that you've been here today through the power of your presence. And God, I ask in this moment, as we think about what we heard, how your spirit spoke to us, as we hold the cup and the bread, may we be reminded that you went to the other side for us, that you're bringing us where we cannot go ourselves through the power of your Holy Spirit. So meet us in this moment. Would there be grace and hope and healing and forgiveness and freedom in this place right now? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a moment, prayer and communion. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God.
To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.